This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast, here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Eshe is the director and owner of Mahasti, the belly dance emporium up in Ontario, Canada. Eshe has been belly dancing since 2002. She's trained extensively in Canada and Japan and Egypt and Turkey, and she's performed in America, Japan, Turkey, South Korea, Australia, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Some of my favorite countries. This is going to be really fun. <laughs> Dance legend Sema Yildiz gave Eshe the name Yildiz, or star, in Turkish after she performed at the famed Gar Casino in Istanbul. Eshe, tell us about that. I was studying in Turkey for the first time. I had met Sema when she was teaching in Tokyo workshops on Turkish dance. She's a teacher to my teacher, Michelle, and I was sobbing the whole workshop thinking about how she was going to have to leave and I wasn't going to see her. So I decided on my honeymoon, we were going to go to Turkey and I ended up studying with a few of the famous legends, but Sema really took me under her wing and got me a show at the Gar Casino and every dancer who has ever really taken the stage in Istanbul has studied with Sema or Sema's hooked them up in some way with advice or a connection to the stage. So she asked me after one of our private lessons if I was interested in performing and I said I was. So she took me to the casino and the waiter came over and was like, do you want to have a drink? And I was like, no, I don't want anything. And she was like, you will have a drink. <laughs> and then I ordered red wine and she was like, no, she's going to have the white. Maybe she even ordered Raki for me. But anyways, she really took control of a lot of aspects of the evening. And she really like pumped me up. We were backstage and she was like, don't forget you're a princess and I know it and everybody knows it. And it was like being in Rocky. It was really fun. <laughs> and I think too, because dance is a job and when you're doing the same job every single night, it can get boring sometimes. And I was so excited to be there. So my dance stood out because I felt so passionate about being there. And then one of the dancers' husbands after the show, he rushed over to us and he was saying in Turkish that I was such a star and Sema was agreeing with him. It was weird to be in this big hall. And actually when I started dancing, this like busload of Japanese tourists started leaving. And then as soon as I came on, they all came back in and sat down again, which was really sweet. But everyone had such nice things to say. And then Sema said that she wanted to give me a name. So she actually gave me Princess Eshe, which was already my name, Yildiz. And then she told me, but you can't tell anyone you're a princess because then they really won't like you. <laughs> She's like, that's just between us. Don't put that out anywhere. And then I had been writing on Facebook kind of like reviews and letting people know how I was studying and who I was studying with, those kinds of things. And when I went into the studio the next day with her, she said to me, you haven't changed your Facebook name. And I was like, what? And she's like, I gave you a name and you haven't changed your Facebook name to Yildiz. I can see that you're on Facebook. There's no reason for you not to have changed your name already. So I went home that night and changed my name on Facebook. But yeah, it was a big honor, obviously. She's a legend. And for her to give me her name has meant a lot to me and has also instantly made me friends with other people who consider her their auntie. 
So that's been really special too. That's an amazing story. Tell us more about dancing in Istanbul. You were there studying? I wanted to learn from Sema and I also wanted to learn Turkish Roman from Rehan Suzuz. So actually most of my time was spent learning Turkish Roman. And because I knew the least about it, I needed the most amount of time with it. It took me about four hours of private lessons, which is intensely embarrassing, but it took me about four hours to get just the basic footwork down. And I was also studying at the time with Princess Banu, who is another legend of Turkish dance. That time I was also studying with Tule Karacha's niece, Zinner. So Tule is one of the big mothers of Turkish belly dance, and her memory is still very revered today. Sema would occasionally pull people from the 80s out of retirement and bring them to my class. So she brought this one lady and she wasn't used to teaching. So she came in and she said, just follow me for a little bit. And then she was like, Whew, I'm getting tired because she wasn't used to dancing anymore. So then she sat down and like popped open a can of Coke. And she was like, yeah, yeah, you keep dancing. And I was like, okay. And then she like pulled out a pack of cigarettes and started smoking. <laughs> So there were really great classes, and then there were classes that I thought, oh, well, at least I have a story out of this. <sighs> the next time I went back for like a really long bit of study, I was also again with Rehan Suzuz to study Turkish Roman, and I also studied with Sema again, and Islam, who was a pretty big staple in the Istanbul scene at the time. The Turkish dance scene is beautiful and amazing. The same as Egyptian, there are also like many, many folk dances that make up all of Turkish dance. Cool. Now, Rehan, will you spell her last name? T-U-Z-S-U-Z. Tuzuz. And I got Princess Banu. Princess Banu is the one. I know you've seen her picture. I've seen her. Yeah, black and gray, and she has like the pasties on. All the other dancers were like taking off their skirts at the time. So she thought she would stand out by taking her bra off and having the little oh. pasties on underneath. And there was? Zinner Karacha. Ooh. Z I. N-N-U-R, and then Karacha is K-A-R-A-C-A. Tule was her aunt. So Tule is a super famous, if you've ever seen a blonde Turkish woman playing Zils, Tule's Zils are legendary. She does a great blend of Roman and Turkish belly dance. She's one of a kind, totally unique dancer. And Zinner went into retirement when she got married, and then she got divorced and came out of retirement and taught for a few years. So I learned with her around 2010, but then she has kind of, as far as I know, disappeared again. So I'm not sure what's happening there, but that was my lucky chance that I caught her in the years she came out of retirement for a bit. That's a dream to go to Turkey and study with really amazing dancers. And when I saw you perform years ago, you did a Turkish Roman piece that was awesome. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it makes me feel so good in a way to hear you say it took four hours of private lessons to get the footwork, the feel, the footwork, so much of it, it seems to be a low center of gravity situation. Yeah, I often say I'm the worst dancer I've ever met. <laughs> because it takes me so long to develop any kind of confidence in the steps. And because there's no breakdown, the way that dance is taught in Turkey and Egypt traditionally is not okay, on the one, you're going to transfer your weight, <laughs> the way that it's compartmentalized. And I do some of that when I'm teaching it, just because I find it's easier for people to understand what they're trying to do. But there was no breakdown. Rehan, her English has improved because she has so many international students. I didn't speak any Turkish and I didn't expect her to be able to instruct me in English. I was happy with whatever she would share. 
it also felt really good to have invested that time and okay, I feel really good about the footwork. Now I can add those other things. I feel like the love for Turkish dance just isn't there sometimes. So I'm happy to see Turkish dance celebrated more recently. And I hope that that continues because there's a lot of really wonderful artists that deserve to be cherished. I went to Spain and took flamenco lessons in different places with different teachers and none of them spoke English and I didn't have any shoes. And it was still just so incredible just to be in the room, just to get a little bit of the essence of it. Totally. I could just have sat and watched and been very happy. (laughs) So nice for these people around the world to let us dance with them. (laughs) It is. And it was really funny that I was meeting Rehan in like a hip hop studio and the kids who were there, they were just like, what are you here learning every day? And I was like, Turkish Roman. And they were like, but there's only one step. And they're like, (laughs) if you can do the main step, you don't need to learn anything else. And I was like, oh, well, I want to learn more than just the main step. But they were like, you should learn something cool like hip hop was really funny seeing their view of Turkish versus my view of Turkish. It was really lovely actually to see how they all also had such deep respect, especially for Sema Yildiz and Princess Banu. The cool hip hop boys would like run over and ask like, can I make you some tea? Is there anything you need? And really cater to the legends of Turkish belly dance. So that was really beautiful to see. That's great. Oh, I've got a terminology question for you. So you put the N on the end of Roma instead of just Roma. And then I always say it wrong and say Roma. What's your suggestion with those words? Well, it's Roma are like the people and Roman. It's like Roman dance, Roman Havasi. Oh, like Romani and Roman. Okay. So yeah. So if you're describing the dance, you're doing a Roman Havasi or Roman dance. So that's just (laughs) how I remember it. When you put it with the word dance. Okay, cool. I say Turkish Roman. A lot of people are, I don't know why, to be honest, still using the G word to describe themselves when they're not of that community. So (laughs) I just trust that in this day and age, people can look up what a Turkish Roman workshop is if they don't know already. And then the G word is not something that we need to use to illuminate them. Sorry, side rant. <laughs> you know, I was watching a video uh, about this too, because I had Suhaila Salampur on the show and we were talking about it a little bit. Mm. And one musician said, you can call it gypsy music or gypsy dance, but not gypsy people. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting distinction too. My grandmother, she called herself gypsy, you know, but she was so out of touch with it too, you yeah, know? It's challenging, mm. you know, especially sometimes people are robbed of their culture or as happens in Turkey a lot, people lie about their background so they won't be mistreated. And then sometimes when you do that so much, you actually become removed from the culture or you don't engage with the culture in the same way. People of the culture sometimes use that word to describe themselves or to describe the dance. I think it's more about when they're introducing the dance to people from outside of the culture. Because in Turkey, you would just say Turkish Roman. You wouldn't use this English word unless you were engaging maybe with an audience that spoke English. So I have no issue, obviously, with people of the culture using that word. I just see it in the belly dance world still every once in a while, folks using it to describe themselves as carefree or loving traveling. And I think if you're carefree, you can just say, I'm carefree, I'm a free spirit. Um, Or if you love- Bohemian is now (laughs) the word. Yeah, like pick something that is not at its core- it's not the right word. It's an exonym. Like it's a word people from outside of the group use to describe another group that didn't even make sense. And it was because they thought they were Egyptian. So there, you know, 
for those of us who are outside of the culture and engaging with the culture, there's no need for us to be using oppressive words to describe it or the people that teach us. Great point too about people can Google it now. Yes. <laughs> you can figure out if you write it in there. Yeah. When I started teaching, it's kind of evolved over time and I would put it in brackets and then I think we evolved to like brackets and then part of the word was blurred out. And now I just don't even engage with that word anymore. Even if it's just one person in the group and there's many more voices than just one voice calling for it. But if one person says, hey, that thing you did hurt me, personally, I don't want to keep doing something that is hurting one person and it's not just hurting one person because we have multiple voices that are saying for years and years this is not a cool word to say this is the real word or if you're just using it to market your skincare line or something <laughs> find something else and the recent conversation about tribal mm -hmm. it's been so wonderful to see how quickly the dance community has pivoted yes i'm really excited for what i hope is happening which is a more inclusive community a more caring community, a more thoughtful community, a community that supports dancers of the culture foremost, and also has a mind to supporting marginalized voices within the community. So we're not seeing what we've seen in the past, which is when people feel that they're not cherished, valued, respected, or heard. So I feel hopeful. And I love the change that I see happening in our dance community. Nice. Danceable Ritual do you have a danceable ritual that you'd like to share? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this question. And I would say the ritual that I use the most is one I learned from Jelena last year. I danced in her Wizard of Oz production. And at the end of one of our cool downs, she started to breathe in and out. And we would pull our arms in as we inhaled. So pulling in all the love and gratitude and then letting go, exhaling all of your doubts and fears and then pulling in everything you want and desire and letting go of everything that's not serving you. So that's what I do in my classes at the end of class when we're cooling down. I also do it at in-person shows. When we get the cast of the show all together, it can be a nice way for everybody to get to know one another. Sometimes I do it from the stage <laughs> with the audience. So it's like a really transportable one. I think that dance can be just movement. We can strip it away to just movement. Breathing is dancing. And even if they're just sitting on the couch, the way they have like a sympathetic response to listening to music swaying back and forth is a dance. I think anytime you're engaging with music and you're moving physically, even if it's just a tiny little bit, you're dancing. I do try and make sure I'm centered now a little bit more and rooted in my intention, especially before I perform. And breath is a huge part of that for me. Yeah. And my other rituals are really around setting up for the day. Sometimes that may be something as simple as opening my shampoo on the day of a show and just creating little moments like that, that just add a little bit of ceremony to my life. I know this is such a weird portion of the show no, for no. You know, some listeners, but what you just shared is exactly what I'm always looking for in people's lives. So that was perfect. I just interviewed another woman who's actually from Kansas who was in Jelena's Wizard of Oz show. Oh, really? Yeah. Amanda Hart. I haven't seen any of Jelena's productions. So I need to get on that. Yeah, she's really imaginative and it's really like a super collaborative process. There are a lot of choreographers that help 
to shape the show. And if you have someone who's like a sword swallower in the show, she will make sure that that gets a feature solo. Hell yeah. Yeah, she's really (laughs) about lifting up everyone in the production. She does all of the nitty gritty jobs. She will sew buttons on your costume, sew your hooks on, give you a massage. One dancer pulled something in her neck and Jelena was timing her medicine. And I honestly do not know if she is human because her (laughs) capacity for generosity honestly she is like a saint unexpectedly I had to move my studio last month and she was messaging me giving me all this encouragement and I just couldn't believe on top of all you know she's managing workshops and she's creating online content and in the online group where all of the members of the cast from around the world we have like a little Facebook group she's checking in with everybody seeing how they're doing seeing if she can support them She never, ever gets angry. Even if someone's done something egregious, she's so cool and organized. And the show is always amazing and really unique and original. And in her production, it totally changes my life. She has so much to offer and share, and she doesn't hold back anything. If you have a question about anything, she's going to share her knowledge and she is an incredible person and I don't think there are many people like her in the world at all. She's an icon but also someone I deeply look up to as a human being, as an artist, as a friend. Wow, she's doing something right, huh? (laughs) Yeah, honestly, she deserves all of the success that she has. She is so hardworking and also so humble and she's continually on a quest for self-improvement to become a better teacher and a better student and a better coach. In the last production I was in, we started every day with a sharing circle and thinking about dedicating your day to a specific person or what do you want your legacy to be? Like we had all these big life questions and she's more than a dancer. She's like a life coach. I can't say enough good things about her. She's just an incredible, incredible person. Awesome. I got to get her on this show. Yes. I want to hear what her magic tricks are. Oh my gosh. She would like go on and on. Her diet is incredible. She cooked for us the first couple days we were there. She cooked for you guys? I'm not kidding when I tell you this woman. (laughs) I think there was like chicken breasts or something off to the side, but everything was like vegan and super healthy. And she has a beautiful home studio that overlooks the ocean. You can see it in a lot of her DVDs and some of her Instagram posts. She does all of her Facebook lives and stuff from there. But even when we switched to the studio, she made sure we had snacks all day. She really takes her job as a leader very, very seriously and leads with so much caring and respect for the people she's responsible for. Wow. But yeah, I know Yana was also on your podcast and on Yana's podcast, Jelena did like a tour of her refrigerator. So you should check that out because yeah, Jelena is the queen of power foods. I really do not know how <laughs> she does it all. Amazing. I was totally intrigued when I was invited to be part of the I Am A Dancer Challenge private group you created on Facebook and on Instagram. And it got me thinking differently. You know, I loved it. You were a poet with the descriptions and so innovative. For example, the instructions for day one were look down, make a whole piece that reflects the ground you walk on, the texture, the lines, the grandness, the temperature, the comfort, etc. Are you in a temple? In quicksand? In your kitchen? Maybe dance the whole thing on the ground. 
or maybe dance the whole thing looking down. Did you sleep the wrong way? Are you injured? Do you have a compulsion or fear that forces you to always watch where you step? Do you see something interesting there? A snake, a portal to another dimension. Okay, so this is Eshe's <laughs> challenge for day one, right? And the other thing I loved about the challenge that you wrote, Eshe, you were like, you know, you could do it on day one, day two, three, or you could do it whenever you want, whatever. Just relieved the pressure and just allowed me space to think about, wow, I could do this anytime. <laughs> yeah, so I had someone write me and they said, I can't do September. I'm going to do this in October. Great. I think on Instagram, they're the art assignment. So it's basically a book with a bunch of prompts to encourage you to be artistic in your everyday life. And sometimes my family and I like to paint kindness rocks. So you paint a rock and then you leave it somewhere and someone else discovers it and makes them happy and they can keep it or they can hide it for somebody else or they can move it to a different park. So I'm part of that community. And then I'm also part of, it's like a backbend flexibility community. And in both communities on the same day, I saw a post. One person was saying, I'm not creative like all of the rest of you. I can't paint rocks. Or someone else was like, you know, I'm not creative. I can't come up with these creative yoga posts like you guys. So that was percolating with me. And I had written back a couple people to say, you were born creative. Everyone was. You are creative. Everyone is creative. And it's not really about making amazing art all of the time. And then I read a couple comments from people on Facebook who were just saying they weren't feeling any joy in dance. And this is something I realized for myself that's important to feel happy is I have to have non-monetized interactions with dance. So I wanted to make something that would encourage me to follow my own curiosity, you know, go hunting for joy, make something ridiculous, break the rules, free me from some of the pressure to be serious or to be a good dancer, to be marketable. You know, not think about like, will this video get me hired to teach at this place? Or I think when we're just doing things that make us happy, it clears up even more space for us to be creative. I can then, you know, once I make sometimes these silly videos, I feel like, oh, I've got an idea for this choreography class now. So I've also been reading so much about dance and the importance of essentially goofing off, how important that is to your professional creative process. So I wanted to give people space and then also to be mindful of the fact that it's a pandemic. So this is a super challenging time because for some people it's really starting to drag. So I didn't want this to be something that would add to a feeling of shame that people might have for like, oh, I didn't get this done. We have those numbing behaviors where we disconnect from a project because it makes us feel bad because we didn't do day seven, so we can't do day eight. I wanted it to be really open and allow for people to engage when they felt they had the physical or mental or emotional or spiritual capacity to do so, but also to create a community where we're just championing each other's curiosity. I have seen people returning to dance, which makes me really excited. So people that haven't engaged with dance for months who are pulling out some shoulder rolls and just moving, which is really encouraging to me. Hunting for joy. Yeah. I've been reading some Brene Brown as well and how important vulnerability is to creativity. And you can't have creativity unless you're vulnerable. But it also is really for people that are used to just sharing a polished choreography that they've worked on for months to say, 
yeah, get online and crawl around on the floor. And I get that can be scary. <laughs> also, a lot of the books I'm reading these days advocate for making bad art or for breaking the rules. And for me personally, sharing those pieces where I've made something that I think is really bad or that I've shown a side of myself that I'm nervous about how other people, their perception of me will change. And then I found it actually, so I was super scared to hit the upload button. But then I found people connected most with the pieces that I was the most scared to share. Mm. And I was like, what's the worst that can happen? All my students are going to quit the studio? No. And I'm trying to walk myself through, like, what if I made the worst dance ever and I put it on the internet? What's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was on my way to my very first belly dance show in Tokyo and I was soloing in a restaurant and I got actually like physically sick on the train and I was like, okay, we either gotta, we either got to quit this dance or we need to get this under control. And I had that talk with myself, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I was like, you're not a neurosurgeon. No one is going to die if you do a bad dance. And I had to change my perspective on what's going to happen if. So that's something I try and ask myself now, like, what's the worst that could happen if you upload a bad dance? So now I'm really actively encouraging everyone to dance badly because it's really liberating. And you can also find some really interesting nuggets in the badness sometimes. I was at a workshop and one of the things we were all doing is dancing in a way we've never moved before, like an alien from another planet. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Someone just had to say that to me mm. and I'm moving in a way I've never moved before. You know, I mean, the environment, that's what we were doing. You know, everyone was on board with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then you can find so many other things. I think what I got out of that was just this feeling of just utter freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important to feel safe. And I hope that's something that I can provide either in an online capacity or for dancers that are local to me, you know, in my studio, just knowing that we're dancing to express, not to impress, and everyone is here to support you. And I really feel most people are good people. They're not out to hurt you. And I made the Facebook group specifically so that people could share with just a very small group of supportive people if they didn't want to share on their social media where they're friends with clients or whatever. And also I encourage people, they could just share and not dance or share and take a picture instead of a video. I think you have to figure out ways to help your community get through this and you have to be as encouraging and open as possible. And that's also art too, allowing people to connect where they're at and realize there's art in the everyday. You don't have to have a thousand dollar costume on and a $500 choreography or whatever, and a world famous coach, you can just move. I'm most interested in seeing people just being themselves. Have you ever heard the breakdown where you say to yourself, okay, worst case scenario, best case scenario, most likely case scenario. Mm, maybe I should use that one instead. <laughs> We do that one a lot for real estate when we're looking mm. at a property to, well, you know, or different parts of our business. You start with the worst case because you know you're making the worst case much more likely than it actually is most of the time, yes. right? Totally. Yeah, I always remind dancers from my studio who are dancing in the show for the first time, the people in the audience, they want you to succeed. They want you to be good. They didn't pay their money to come here and boo you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't come out here to be like, I got babysitter and I drove down here in my car so that I could really let this lady know that she's not an artist. 
<laughs> I think that's the story you're telling yourself, but like, that's not actually what happened. Most people are here to cheer you on and support you. And the nitpicky stuff that you notice, they're not going to see all those little things. And I think for sure, after your performance, you can think about something I did well, something I'd like to improve on in the future and work towards the version of yourself that you'd like to be. But even people that are searching through Instagram, I don't think the majority of them are like, I'm going to try and find a video that I really don't like today and let that person know. <laughs> I think it's really exciting when I see somebody on the edge of their comfort zone, yeah. you know, when they're performing and they're not quite sure if they're going to pull it yes. off. Being in the audience, that's my favorite stuff. One time I was at a show at Cornell and this band from Rajasthan flew in to perform and they had a woman there that was going to dance on nails with pots of water on her head on this gorgeous stage. And nobody looked like they knew if she was going to be able to pull it off. <laughs> Everybody looked terrified in a certain way. I mean, the band was smiling under their mustaches, but she looked totally terrified. And they had been delayed by customs. Uh, they just got picked up at the airport and were rushed to the show. They had all these other things come up, but it was so exciting. I'm like, oh my God, if that pot of water falls off of her head and breaks on this <laughs> very expensive stage, shards of clay are flying at the audience. You know, I was like, wow, this is really exciting. <laughs> But if someone dances and it just looks so easy, I mean, that's cool, but it's not nearly as exciting as if someone's like, okay, I'm putting this sword on my head and I don't really know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I want to see someone who's invested. I think it's not interesting always to watch someone who's so confident. I want someone who cares about me as an audience member and who cares about the outcome. Maybe that's part of why I love watching Fifi Abdo. She's so confident, but at the same time, she doesn't know what's going to happen. Mm. And she loves the audience. Yes. There's this certain quality. I just love more improvisational styles of music yeah, and dance. I have gotten in fights with people about this. I love her new stuff even more than her old stuff. Oh, like the stuff she puts on Instagram yes. with her dancing in her living with room? With her turquoise bracelets and she's just so in love with herself, delighted with her own existence. I am so carried away by her to this fantasy land and she's my queen. I think it's so important what she's doing. I think we need to cherish the legends in our dance. And I think the best thing you can give your haters is indifference. Oh, definitely. And I just love that she's just unbothered, carrying on, being amazing. She adds so much joy to the world. I never thought about that, even just thinking about her new stuff versus old stuff, what I like, right? She's just so awesome. Yeah, her craft is incredible. I love both improv and choreographies. I was taking, I think it was a Zoe Jakes class. Improv should look like choreography and choreography should look like improv. Mm. So many Egyptian dancers have said, really the heart of Egyptian dance is improvisation. And I think they're a great example of knowing your craft, knowing your music, knowing the capacity of your costume and living in the moment and being there. And that was only a more recent discovery for me that improv was not what I thought it was, which was just like, Oh yeah, I kind of know the song. Put it on. I'll see what happens. <laughs> I like to prepare a little bit more. So I still do improv quite a bit, but I prepare in a different way than I did when I was first starting out. I think it's cool to do that if you're at like an experimental show. Or <laughs> there was a time I got to my restaurant and none of my music worked. So they were just like, oh, we have this set from this other dancer. We'll just play that. You can just dance to that. <laughs> there are times in my life that I look back on that I think, I 
maybe I should have listened to my song a couple more times before I went out in front of a live <laughs> audience and subjected them to my whimsy. Damn sexy dance move. Oh, so we're going to try this one. I know it as the Turkish snap, but I've also heard Egyptians call it the Egyptian snap. So basically, we're going to try and strike. I'm right-handed, so I'm going to use my right index finger, and I'm going to try and hit the air pocket of my left middle finger. So we bring the hands together, pressing them all together, and then I'm going to tilt my dominant hand up towards the ceiling just a little bit. I open both index fingers away from the middle finger. So I'm striking my dominant hand, which for me is I'm gonna strike my right index finger is on top of my left index finger, and it's gonna hit the air pocket at the bottom of my left middle finger. So for a long time, it didn't make very much noise for me. So it's perfectly normal and okay. And even this is quite quiet compared to a lot of my Turkish teachers. Rehan Tuzuz in particular has a mean Turkish snap. But it's also a gesture you can use in dance itself that obviously most of the time we're not going to be able to hear if your snap is actually producing noise. But it's a gesture you can use joyfully during the dance. I never realized it was the base of my finger. I was always higher up on another part yeah, of the knuckle. My starting position is the bottom third of the index finger. Sent in a little video for the notes where you can watch if my uh, description is not working. Troubleshooting. Sometimes people are striking at the top of the pad of the finger, which won't land you in the air pocket that you need. And sometimes people also hold their hands too far apart. That can be something else that's happening. Elizabeth Strong, I love this idea. So she actually bends her non-dominant hand. So for me, that's my left hand. The middle ring and pinky finger, like she calls them training wheels to hold the other hand in place. That's in the video as well. So you have not so much slippage between the hands. That is so helpful. Yay, I'm glad. When I first started dancing, I was in a dance troupe with an Iranian woman and she could do it and I could hear it in yeah. the whole I'm still working on that. <laughs> well, I felt like at that point, she taught me how to do it. And I was like, that was the only time in my life I've ever been able to actually make a sound out of it. Now I think you're going to bring it back for me 20 years later. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> so happy. I'm like dancing in my seat like this is a video interview. <laughs> <laughs> You were the belly dancer for a Korean folk slash world music band, Orgel Tens, yeah. and you were featured in the Korean editions of Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and appeared on several TV and radio programs. And you ran your own belly dance studio in Seoul, as well as a concert series with some of the biggest names in Korea's indie scene. I saw some videos of that. It was very cool. I think they were your students doing like fan veil mm. dancing to like an indie rock band. I was like, wow, this is exciting. What are some of the differences in being a professional belly dancer in Korea and your work in Canada? Well, Korea, we lived in the entertainment district. So that was a huge difference. So like everybody who is an artist moves to this one area. So that's very different. Korean people in general are super outgoing. In Canada, people are like, oh, don't pull me up. Don't pull me up if you're dancing. And then in Korea, people are like, are you going to pull me up? Can I get up and dance with you? 
busking in Korea, people would come over and make sure, like, do you need a drink? They would bring me flowers. Oh, wow. Versus in Canada busking. <laughs> the buskers here, no one's showering them with flowers and making sure they've eaten, those kinds of things. And also we would start busking and within a couple minutes, we would have a crowd of like a hundred people. Wow. So I think being much more receptive to street performances, part of that is also because a lot of people are out walking on the street. Korea has a lot of really, really excellent dancers, really dedicated to their craft. There's a lot of certification programs, which is quite different to the Canadian scene. We have a couple people that do something similar to Suhela, but not obviously with like the lineage and history and skill. It's more like learn these five choreographies and then we'll give you a teacher certificate. So there are good and bad things with those kinds of systems. Things that I was frustrated with at the time. Now with a little more distance, I can see how beautiful they were. I used to get really frustrated because we'd be cleaning up after a show and I would say, okay, I'll do the sweeping. You get the chairs, you get the tables. And then I'd be sweeping and everyone would come and help me sweep. And I was like, this is going to take so much longer. And now I see that they were more concerned with community than efficiency. I'm trying to see now the beauty in all of the systems that exist. People cared for me a lot, I felt, in Korea as an artist and as a person. There's a much more emphasis on how we're connected and how we're related. I miss those kinds of things. I worked with a lot more bands when I was in Korea. <laughs> you know, at the time, people sometimes were like, are you sure you want to belly dance to punk music? Because I had no limits. One of my messages at that time was to show that belly dance was capable of showcasing the range of emotions in the human experience. We had dubstep and punk and experimental and hardcore and traditional pansori singing and thrash folk and all these little niche styles of music because I was really intent on connecting belly dance to all these different worlds. So that was a really beautiful part of the experience there. So yeah, through my time there, people chasing me down in the street, trying to give me an umbrella because it was raining or, you oh. know, things that just do not happen here. I miss Korea. I love it there. I feel like there's a lot we can learn from other systems of community for sure. I mean, I go back to Southeast Asia as much as I possibly can too, because I just love that the smile is a default. Mm. Everything's okay. There are no problems in Thailand. You know, that whole way of being like, oh God, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Seven years. Were you teaching like English too or? Um, no, I had actually hoped when I moved to Korea to be a student again. We were in Japan for four and a half years and I thought I can go to Korea just to be a student in somebody else's studio. I found a studio that taught everything in English. So I wrote them and I said, you know, I've been belly dancing for four years. I'd love to join the belly dance class. And the studio owner wrote me back and said, oh, she's gone to Thailand indefinitely, but it sounds like you could teach the class. You know, she's like, I've got six people who really want to learn and you've got experience. So I started teaching there and then I transitioned into having that just be my full-time job there. Just running my studio and running shows and touring as a dancer. I got hired by an art company and we would do these really cool tours 
one tour was just countryside towns and it was really really fun because we were dancing for farmers and their wives and their kids who were just so excited we had come to their little town and we were putting on a show (laughs) when i was in peace corps i was in a school you know more of a rural school and one day this bus of korean teens pulled up and performed the death of christ amazing they were doing it all in hangul none of us understood what the heck was going on you know all the teachers got a break and all the kids are sitting there that particular school was completely buddhist but it was hilarious they like picked one of them up and they got carried out on the cross and we were all like i don't know what happened all right Yeah, we were like a funny little tour. We had a folk musician and a clown. So the regular crew was like a belly dancer, a folk singer, and a clown. And then we would also have like one other person with us. So sometimes like a buto performance or experimental. Sometimes it was another form of Korean dance or modern dance. But yeah, it was a fun little tour packed into this van and (laughs) stopping in these these little towns yeah it was really cool i love it now it's time for some music danceable song when i saw you perform years ago i remember finding you backstage afterwards to tell you how much i loved your performance and your music that you danced to it was this modern turkish roman piece i was dancing to dj yelmaz who is a really prolific dj that releases turkish roman tracks If you're not used to the beat, it can be harder to discern because it doesn't have the same heavy bass notes that a song with real instruments has, but he is making really exciting music. And whenever he DMs me, he's also really polite. (laughs) And his music is all on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. But I threw up two playlists with Turkish Roman dance tracks. If people are interested in listening more, they can listen and maybe marinate in the rhythm a little bit. So the AMCAB one is one, three, five, seven, eight, nine, one, three, five, seven, eight, nine. Like the played beat and then the R Roman, A-G-I-R, is a little bit slower and heavier. So it's one, three, five, seven, eight, one, three, five, seven, eight. So the one that gets used a lot, like for rompy rompy, just has one more beat on the end. And generally it's played mid to fast where the R Roman can be slow, but it can also speed up and be fast. So DJ Yilmaz's tracks are often faster and the beat is not as heavy. So if you're not familiar with the rhythm, it can make it a little bit more challenging, but ultimately the tracks are really, really fun. And it's also what people are playing when they're dancing at parties. Cool. The modern Roman trends. Yeah. So if you see community parties, they're often dancing to DJ Yilmaz. Very cool. So there'll be two links to those Spotify playlists in the show notes for this episode. And Eshe, your website. I haven't shared your website with the (laughs) listeners yet. HamiltonBellyDance.com. Hamilton Belly, because you're up in Hamilton in Ontario. HamiltonBellyDance.com. What's your Instagram? Hamilton Belly Dance. The studio page is Facebook.com slash Hamilton Belly Dance. In 2016, you opened Mahasti Belly Dance Emporium and formed your award-winning dance troupe, Rocks Mahasti. What have your greatest challenges been since COVID? A lot of my students prefer in-person classes. So even though I already had a Patreon going for a year and a bit, 
So I had some people that were dancing online with me. I didn't have a lot of people that were dancing online with me. So I was doing some interviews at that time and everyone was congratulating me for how well I pivoted. But to be honest, I felt a bit of imposter syndrome. Like, am I really doing a great job of pivoting? So switching to learning how to use Zoom, I'm not a super techie person. My very first Zoom class was a four hour workshop and I didn't know how to share the music. I didn't have a good quality camera. I feel very badly about (laughs) at the end of the four hours, everyone was very tired. Challenges like figuring out how to home or online school. I have two daughters and also manage So I have my studio. I also have a monthly show that has switched to the online format. So booking that, making sure it's running. I did an online competition this year where we had dancers from all over the world compete. It takes a lot of energy to connect through a screen. Figuring out how am I going to teach or create a choreography that I have to teach through a screen because, you know, you don't have the same angles. It's just very different. But there were also beautiful things. A lot of the dancers that I normally can't study with, I now have access to. The way that subsidies and things work in Canada didn't help me at all for my studio in particular. So I ended up unexpectedly having to move. (laughs) So I just moved this month to a new studio. And now I can see that I'm on the other side of it. My new studio is bigger and brighter and in a better location. But at the time, it kind of felt like the sky was falling and I didn't sleep for about a week, Mm. just worrying about all the commitments that I had made to other people. So now I can see that that uncomfortable shift had a bright side on the end of it. Learning how to teach other people how to be online, that was something I had to do because for the show, I would invite artists and they would say, I want to do it, but I've never been in an online show. So sometimes for a one hour show, we're doing six hours of tech, (laughs) teaching all the students how to use the technology. And also we were pretty hardcore about isolation. My own family of four, we only took the kids out in the beginning, one hour a week. And the rest of the time we were all in our house together. (laughs) We don't have like a yard or anything too. So we were literally just inside our house or we would take the kids to the studio and let them run around inside the studio. So that was the first three or four months of lockdown. When I look back and I thought, okay, March break, everything's kind of starting to close down. We were canceling at first, like month by month, like, oh, we'll cancel next month. And then we started to have the big, we're just going to have to cancel to the end of the year. I think dealing with the uncertainty has been really hard on people. And then also, you know, I really feel for the club that normally houses our shows, they can't have shows. So I think those kinds of challenges are hard as well. Have to kind of root myself in gratitude though. So sometimes I just think about how lucky I am to have a home with locks on it and running water and heat and comfy clothes. I start really small. (laughs) Oh, I'm so grateful I have strawberries and work my way up to the bigger stuff like my kids and my husband. I end up with this huge list of 38 things for the day and that helps me see things a little bit clearer. Oh, COVID. (laughs) Just keeps going. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow. Featured light in my body food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? I am not an amazing cook. I'm pretty... (laughs) 
<laughs> one ingredient mama. So right now my big lunchtime kick is edamame because I can just buy them frozen. I just heat them up on the stove and then they're ready to eat. And then another thing that I've been having as like a desserty treat is frozen fruit. So I really love frozen blueberries as like a one ingredient, very easy to pull out of the freezer. And the texture is really nice of frozen blueberries. My son for a while was obsessed with frozen bananas. It's like an ice cream cone. Mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I didn't think about the delight of eating frozen fruit before I would put it in a smoothie or put in pancakes or whatever. But great point. It's nice to eat a crunchy blueberry. Mm -hmm. Let's play dress up. Make you shine costume tip. What is one costume tip you'd like to share? To always check your costume three days before your show. <laughs> so I have like a countdown, like this happens three days before, the day before this happens, show day. But if you check your costumes, the integrity of the elastic, you know, your hooks and buttons, as well as any props you're going to use, if you check three days out, you have time to fix it. Whereas I sometimes see dancers checking their costumes at the show. It is too late <laughs> at that point. And also then you're going to be focused on the panic of sewing or finding someone that has a sewing kit. If your go bag doesn't have a sewing kit in it, it gives you time if you need to like assemble things. So you need a little bit more elastic or, you know, you discover your fan veil is broken. It gives you time to mindfully substitute things and mindfully make changes. And one thing I learned from Jelena is that safety pins are only for emergencies. <laughs> so they should not be the go-to to hold your costume together or on. Everything should have a snap and a hook so that you have some safety and insurance there. I wonder if you can graph out stress levels and safety pin usage. <laughs> <laughs> like safety pins are great to have in an emergency and for sure if your bra busted and you know you need to get it on you need to go out there for sure it's awesome to have safety pins but that should not be what's holding your costume together on the regular and also especially I think with HD cameras and those kinds of things you can see it often doesn't leave a very polished line to the costume. It can be painful. I've had safety pins open up on me and start stabbing. You wouldn't put on a wedding gown and then like, oh, we'll just put the zipper together with duct tape. <laughs> I think that's kind of what it looks like sometimes. So yeah. And then too, if your schedule is really hectic, if you know three days out that you've got to sew your costume the night before the show, to me, that just feels more relaxed. And then when I'm actually at the show, I have time to warm up properly, focus on the intention of my piece instead of hurriedly trying to stitch my costume together. I think some people like the rush of the last minute, but again, I don't know how the stress is. Yeah, <laughs> I think that stress can be comforting to some people. If it's familiar, if that's their habit. Yeah, I read something about people with traumatic childhoods keeping their stress levels high because that actually feels normal and comforting to them when they feel overwhelmed. <laughs> but I think too, you have to be mindful of how you're affecting other people backstage, especially if you're a professional dancer. I don't personally enjoy when I'm backstage and someone is like running past me to grab scissors, running the other way to get pins, running back the other way because they need to get thread, running back past me because 
you know, they want someone's opinion. I think contributing chaos to the backstage area is possibly not what you want to be known for. There are better uses of your time. And I think if you're constantly putting yourself in that state, maybe it's time to think about, hmm, what am I satisfying by repeating these patterns that bring me to this place every time? This comes from an event organizer. You've organized <laughs> events all over the world, right? You've seen it on, yes. it on so many levels, right? Yes. And then once we can see our pattern and go, huh, yeah, what is that about? That's the good stuff in life right there. Yeah, for sure. I'm the one who contributes the tequila to the backstage. <laughs> That's always fun. I've been the person sewing a stranger's costume backstage too. I'm like, oh, you need that fixed? Come here. It's so funny. I think we all have human moments. I've had costumes pop open. I've had to sew things last minute. I've been in those shows where like the dancer's costume is clearly about to pop and I just start to feel so worried because I'm like, do they know that this is happening? Are they going to be embarrassed when they see this? I come from like a, a mom state now when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little distracting though from the artistic expression. Yeah, I don't see the dance anymore. I just start to really worry about the person and I don't want them to be upset afterwards. Shay, tell us about Glitter at the Caspaw, the monthly belly dance showcase that you produce. I started producing this show in 2007. So as far as I know, I am the longest running show in the city or one of them. So I've switched the timeline a little bit because we're online now. But in normal times, the show runs every single month. And I invite dancers, 80 to 90% of the show are belly dancers of various genres. But I also invite other kinds of dancers and performers. In the online format, we've had spoken word and drag and all kinds of different dances from the Middle East and India, Turkey, different activist performances. So I call it glitter because we're all kind of shining together and I want to unite us passion and love and respect for each other. Sometimes I think the belly dance community is very isolated and we only know other belly dancers. So I wanted to start bringing in artists from different styles of dance or different genres to showcase people that I just thought were interesting. So we've done eight online shows at this point. That's a lot. Yeah. So we have like Aziza, Oh, Michelle Sorensen, Melissa Gamal, Henna from Detura Online. I actually took August off and then Aziza, <laughs> I was in her class and she asked me, when is Glitter coming back? And then she said, well, if you did another one, I would do it. Nice. <laughs> so I was like, I guess we're doing a Glitter. <laughs> Every show is people that I think everyone should know and people that I love. I've been uh, 13 years now. <laughs> wow, right, 2007. Oh my God, you're right. That is 13 years ago. <gasps> As Will Durant said, we are what we repeatedly do. So let us repeatedly do what the divinely lovely do. Feel good. Look good habit. Do you have a feel good, look good habit that you'd like to share? Before I put on makeup, I drink a glass of water. One of the books I really loved was Atomic Habits. So talking about when you're starting a new habit, you want to include in your daily routine. It has to be really easy to do and you should be able to do it in under two minutes. So drinking a glass of water, I just feel like, oh, okay, I've done. <laughs> 
And if I'm feeling really all about ritual, I say a little thank you to my water before I drink it. I just feel like, okay, I've taken a moment to do something nice, something easy, something extra for my body before starting to get ready. You always feel better after you have a little bit of water. My husband and I have both been drinking like a pint glass of water when we wake up Mm. before we eat anything. And that's been so nice. Tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. I've just reopened my studio. I don't have super big plans into the future because I'm waiting to see how things go. I have to be receptive to what will come. And I don't want to invest selfishly a lot of energy into something that may get canceled. I'm also wary at this point of if people need a break from being online so much. And I'm trying to tune in also to what I need. I do a lot of work for other people and a lot of work in service to my community in a bunch of different ways. And I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that I am not an unlimited well. I have in the past given to the point of exhaustion and just tried to push through that, but I find it much more challenging in these times to do that. So ideas percolating about events and things like that, but nothing that I want to announce with certainty at this point, because I feel like things are so out of control here right now, unfortunately. I recently restarted my meditation practice. When I gave birth to my daughters, I used hypnosis and meditation to deal with the marathon of birth. And I hadn't been listening to hypnosis or meditation tracks since they were born, but I found in these times, it's really calming and powerful. I took an online landmark kind of seminar. I don't know if you're familiar with landmark at all, but it was hilarious. It was all uncertainty. There's always utter uncertainty. Right now it's just consuming our minds, (laughs) you know? They were so funny. They were like, so what? It cracked me up. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the workshop teachers have said to me like, I'm ready to workshop, but we have to space out so much. I'm just like, I'm okay with it. But do you really want to come to teach to like five people? That's what I'm doing for my studio classes. And I'm like, I'm totally cool with having you come. But you also have to be aware that it's going to be just five people in the room. We can't fill the studio like we did before. And I don't know how people are doing money-wise. I don't know if they're thinking like, oh, I should hold on to this money because I think people are worried if the second wave hits very badly that our government gave out so much money before. I don't know if there's going to be money in the second wave or not. So I just feel like "Mm, maybe not the right time to say to people like, okay, you can come to this super exclusive five-person workshop. It's $250. (laughs) Right, right. I've seen a couple people that are like, oh, I'm going to charge you more because I have to recover my lost income. And I don't think that is always fair because it's certainly not the fault of the people who are interested in your business to fund the money you lost when you were closed. Mm-hmm. Although I understand that because I was obviously closed and had to continue to pay rent and those kinds of things. It's been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eshe, it has been so, I'm going to use the word enlightening. You really just revealed some things to me. Just the Turkish finger snap alone, (laughs) along with all these other things that you said about if dance is movement, then even breathing is dance. Just things like that that you said. Or opening up your shampoo on the day of your gig is something that's special. You know, just thank you for the way that you've touched us and that you will continue to touch people 
you're a beautiful dancer too. I feel like I didn't really give enough play to that. So in addition to all of your organizing, your thoughtfulness and your artistry and your support of the art communities, the art that you are. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Like I wrote to you, this is one of the most detailed and prepared interviews I've ever experienced. And I really appreciate all the kind attention and all the research you did. And I'm so glad that I know that your podcast exists because I'm really excited now to listen. I was listening in preparation for today. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, so-and-so is doing a podcast. Cool. And I'm just going to scan the titles and I'm like, oh, but I was like, oh, I am definitely listening to this one and I've got to come back to do, oh, this is really cool. I want to hear about this. Yeah, I love the topics that you've chosen to engage in and the dancers and the artists that you've engaged with. This is a cool podcast. I'm super excited to be on it. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on aliciafree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helped you feel a little lighter.